media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Everybody's well? All is well? Not talking to me this morning? All right, all right. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we'll read from verse 25 to verse 37. Luke chapter 10, and it's a passage, passage we are familiar with. Um, and it's about the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 10, reading from verse 25 to verse 37. And I'm reading from the New English Translation. And it reads, Now an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you understand it? The expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, but when he saw the injured man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, But a Samaritan who was traveling came to where the injured man was, and then he saw him, he felt compassion for him. He went up to him and bandaged the man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever else you spend, I will repay when I come back this way. Which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 37, the expert in religious law said, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Father, we ask <clears throat> that you might lead us this morning. Realize my in incompetence. And Father, I realize your greatness. And Father, in light of this, we come humbly before you, asking you to lead and to guide and speak to our hearts like never before. It is in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. My title to us this morning is, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? As I was growing up in 
Jamaica, I would be asked to get something from my neighbor. And the person my parents were referring to would be someone who lived next door to us or someone in close proximity. I believe when the question is asked, who is my neighbor, we're thinking of the person who lives next door to us or across the street from us that we bring a meal to welcome into the neighborhood. Possibly we are thinking that our neighbors are those we hang out with on a regular basis. As we examine the Old Testament history, it seems that the word neighbor was in reference to fellow members of the community of the covenant of Yahweh. A neighbor as seen in the Old Testament as part of the family of Israel. The word neighbor was used interchangeable with the word brother in Deuteronomy 5, 2 and verse 12 also. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, we are told, you shall love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is possible that the Old Testament saints thought that their neighbors were only those who were of the covenant of Yahweh. As we come to the New Testament, Jesus blew up the idea that our neighbors are those who are part of the nation of Israel or those who are part of the covenant of Abraham. There was a, there was a, there was a, there was a conflict in Jesus' day of who is my neighbor. The lawyer seemed to hold to the most restricted view of who is a neighbor. He was thinking that his neighbors were those fellow Israelites or full proselytes are possible even more restrictive to members of their own group within Judaism. The word that is used in Acts in Luke chapter 10 verse 29 as the idea that it is not restricted to a compatriot but could be applied to any fellow human being who was close in proximity. I believe at times we have the same thought process as the lawyer did. We believe that our neighbors are those we know personally, those who we live, who live across the street from us. We at we are times know individuals with legitimate needs and we and we and we can help and we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We know individuals who are who are struggling financially and we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We know maybe someone who, who's sick and in need of some comfort. But we ask the question, who is my neighbor? In light of the mistrust in our society, we are, we are, we are at times afraid to stop and assist people. This should not prevent us from helping a people who are truly in need. We are so concerned about safety and self that we have lost the art of being a neighbor. Most of us believe that our neighbors are those who live next door to us, are those are those are those in our, in our neighborhood. We try to assist them in different ways. We allow our children to play together. We 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 might we might share a meal with them. We we invite um, our neighbors to our birthday parties. We we might do different things with persons who live next door to us. We concluded then that our neighbors are those we know and have a relationship with. In the passage that is before us, the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor? My intention this morning is to answer the question, 
who is my neighbor biblically? May I suggest to us that maybe we're asking the wrong question. The question should not be who is my neighbor, but who should I be a neighbor to? Who should I be a neighbor to? Jesus gave a clear picture in this parable of the Good Samaritan that our neighbors are those who are in need. Our neighbors are those who are in need. Let us, let us examine the text that we see and see what Luke says. At some unspecified time, an expert in the law stood, stood up to test Jesus, which suggests to me that the people were seated. It is evident that Jesus was teaching. A lawyer in those days was a learned person. He was equivalent to a scribe. He, he, he was a, a doctor of the law. He had a vast knowledge of Old Testament scriptures. He, a lawyer would be one who would be involved in the interpretation and preservation of the law. In particular, the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. To judge cases in the community. To elaborate and to teach the doctrines of the scripture. To become an expert in the law, would, would, would have one would have um, to start at an early age. This student would have to come align, to align himself with a mentor and give more allegiance to the mentor than his own parents. The student would have to reproduce verbatimly the words and expressions of his teacher. When the student had mastered the material of his teacher and was competent, competent to make his own decision, he would then become an ordained student. When he become of age, around age 40, he would then become an ordained scholar, a scribe, a lawyer. When the expert in the law asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He did not ask the question with a sincere heart. He was not asking the question with an attitude that he was desperate and he was going to hell and he needed a savior. He asked the question thinking he could do some meritorious work in order to earn his own salvation. He asked the question to take an issue with the master teacher or to, to trap Jesus or to, or to see what kind of teacher Jesus was. Asking this question in, in the manner he did suggests to me that he was thinking of some, some, work, some, some form of salvation by works and had no understanding of divine grace. He did not understand that eternal life denotes a life that will never end. He did not, he, 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 it is, it is a life that starts at the moment of salvation and continues into eternity. Eternal life denotes not only a, a, a quantity of life, but a quality of life. Eternal life is not a matter of keeping rules, but, but trusting in the ruler of life. This quality of life is a gift from God the Father. This little did the lawyer know. Little did the lawyer know that salvation is by grace through faith. In, in, in salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not of yourself. Is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is an act of God whereby we were heading to a place of total destruction, the pit of hell, and God the Father sent his unique son to accomplish 
the salvific acts of, of, on the cross and in light of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, we are placed on that solid rock and that rock is Jesus. Salvation is deliverance from slavery. Where Satan had, had us in his grasp. It is, it is an, it is a act of the triune God. God the Father engineered the plan of salvation by sending his son to die on the cross. God the Son executed the plan by, by going to Calvary and shed his blood and, and, and went, and went to, and went to the grave. But praise be to God. On the third day he arrived triumphantly. God the Holy Spirit sealed the plan of salvation by indwelling us until the day of redemption. It is, it is not because I look good or you look good. It is not because we have accomplished some great things in our lives. It's not because we have, we are smart and have degrees on our wall. It is, uh, it is not because we're a member of Cornerstone. It is all because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. It's all because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Jesus asks, him, what is written in the law? Jesus was recommend was was correct to recommend to the the man the lawyer to the law because he was a lawyer. In verse twenty seven, the lawyer responded, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself." Jesus placed the law before the lawyer so that he could see his selfishness. So that when he looked in the mirror through the eyes of the law, he could see his depravity. He could see his degeneracy, his worthlessness, his wretchedness, his sinfulness. The lawyer next question should have been, how can I receive this eternal life? I am going to hell and I need a savior. I am desperately wicked in the sight of God and I need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. But instead, instead of asking the right question, he wanted to pick a fight with the master teacher. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Again, I believe he had the wrong perspective. He thought his neighbors were those of the household of Israel. He thought his neighbors were those of the lawyers and Pharisees. He, 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 he did not think of others, other people, groups, outside of Israel. He, he thought he should be neighbors to those whom he is comfortable with. The idea of love towards mankind did not reach him. The lawyer, the lawyer and those in his circles thought that the love of God knew racial, economical, cultural, and class boundaries. Jesus asserted to the lawyer in the parable that the love of God knows no, that does not know any National boundaries. The love of God does not know any economical boundaries. The love of God does not know any racial boundaries. The love of God does not know any cultural boundaries. The love of God does not know any class boundaries. Listen, Cornerstone. As Christians, our neighbors are not those, are only those who live next door, but our neighbors are those we come in contact with. Our neighbors are those we come in contact with. Our neighbors are those we see and meet in the parking lot every day. The, the cashier we come in contact with in the grocery store. The mothers and fathers we meet at the bus stop. The people we, that we deal with every day on our job. Our neighbors are those folk we come in contact with. 
Our neighbors are those we come in contact with. Jesus did not answer the lawyer's question directly. He told a story of a man who I believe was a Jew, was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, was a, was a steep, winding, and desolate road. It descends around 3,000 feet and was about 17 miles long. It is said that, it is said to have been a very dangerous road to travel because robbers would locate and position themselves in this treacherous part of the road. Jesus did not concentrate on the fact that the man was robbed, but on the violent ill treatment of the traveler that passed by on the other side and lead to leave him half dead. It happened that a priest was passing by. The office of the priesthood was vested into the tribe of the Levi. It is possible that the priest was heading down from Jericho to Jerusalem after a month-long engagement in, in the temple, offering sacrifices and prayers for the nation of Israel and individuals. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 9 to 10, it is said that the priest is one who watches over the word. He guards your covenant. He teaches the precepts of Jacob and the, and, and, and the law of Israel. He offers incense before you and, the, and burnt offering on your altar. A priest would examine all the sacrificial animals to make sure that they were healthy and without blemish. Leviticus 20, 22, verse 17 to 21. Therefore, from what we have seen, a priest was a religious person and one you would believe would help the wounded man. So here's the priest coming down this dusty, rugged terrain, heading home to see his darling wife and, and, and his loving children after a month long of service for his God. He noticed, he noticed that, a, a, that he noticed that a man was beaten and on the side of the road and possible dead. If this man was indeed dead and he touched this man, he would encourage ceremonial impurity or defilement, which the law forbids. Leviticus 20, 21 verse 1. He was sure, he was sure of retaining ceremonial purity only by leaving the man alone. A priest who understood the worship of the Most High God. A priest who one would consider to be closer to God than any other Israelite. A priest who offered sacrifices, holy psalms and solemn prayers for his people. A priest who has read on many occasions, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. A priest who, would, who could quote the entire Pentateuch of, of the Old Testament. Avoided, avoided the wounded man. It, in this conflict, it was ceremonial purity that won the day. Not only did he, did he not help, but he had such disdain for the man that he walked on the other side of the road. He was deliberately avoided. He deliberately avoided any possibility of contact. Any possibility. Maybe he was saying in his mind that the robbers would return. I have not seen my family for a month and I must return quickly. I miss them dearly. I miss them dearly. 
The priest left the man who was suffering and in need. A man who you think would have compassion for people. A man who is chosen to speak on behalf of God to men and women. Walked on the other side of the road and left the man to die. That's what the priest did. Ceremonial purity won the day. After reading the story, you would say to yourself, a priest did not help, but more than likely, a Levite would help the wounded man. We must note that all priests, that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. The Levites were a set, were set apart to serve God, in particularly to take care of all the furnishings in the tent of meeting or in the Ark of the Covenant. The Levites were permitted to, to, to go near the sacred furniture, and this special privilege distinguished them from ordinary Israelites. Deuteronomy, Numbers 8, verse 9, and Numbers 16, verse 9. The Levites were placed into three families. I hope I'm saying these names correctly. These families were the Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the Memarites. They were assigned to move the tabernacle when it was to be moved. If any other person, any other person, touched the tabernacle, whether Israelite or Gentiles, they would be killed instantly. So like the priests, the Levites were religious. Because of his religious background, you would think the Levite would be interested in helping the man that was in need. I believe he was also interested in matters of ceremonial purity. Therefore, he also left the wounded man on the side of the road to die. He passed by on the other side. Those in attendance would have expected a priest, a Levite, and more, more than likely an Israelite lay person. Jesus' introduction of the Samaritan was a devastating shock to them. The Jews did not take kind to, to, to Samaritans because of their mixed Jewish and Gentile ancestry. As you may recall, the woman at the well said to Jesus, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In light of this great tension and divide between Jews and Gentiles, the Samaritan was the last person they expected to help. But it was the Samaritan man that, that was deeply moved with compassion to help the wounded man. Listen, Cornerstone. To be a neighbor, one, we must have compassion. To be a neighbor, we must have compassion. Compassion is to experience the suffering of those who are suffering. He saw the wounded man and he had a sense of suffering for the man. He was moved with, with he was moved with love to have a sincere compassion for the wounded man. The Samaritan man did not ask the wounded man, what is, what is, what, what is your religious status? He did not ask him if he believed in the Westminster Catechism. He did not ask him if he was a Catholic Baptist Presbyterian, Methodist, drove a witness or a Mormon. He did not ask the man, the wounded man, if he was a Calvinist or an Arminian. He did not ask him if he was a Democrat, Republican or Independent. He did not ask him if he was saved or lost. 
He did not ask him his sexual orientation. What he did was to call, show compassion on the wounded man. He was tender-hearted. So he, he was merciful. He was sympathetic. Sympathetic. Sympathet, I can't say the word. <laughs> sympathetic. He was compassionate to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers and showed pity on the man that was in need. He had compassion. He felt the suffering that this man was, was, was feeling. When was the last time you showed compassion to someone who, has, who was driving a car or was having car problems on the side of the road? Or someone in our church we don't know, we don't talk to on a regular basis or, or not having seen in a long time and find out what's going on in their life and have compassion on him or, 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 or her? When was the last time we call a brother or sister and find out how he or she is doing? Are we experiencing the suffering with those who are having hard times? Here was the Samaritan man. He showed compassion on the wounded man. Not only did he have compassion, but secondly, the Samaritan man had contact. The Samaritan man had contact. Listen, folk. To be a neighbor. Guess what? We must have contact. To be a neighbor, we must have contact. We cannot have contact from afar. He bandaged the man's wound, poured on oil and wine. Wine would have, would have been used for cleansing the wounds. And alcohol, alcohol in it had some antiseptive effect. The Samaritan the Samaritan might not have known this. What he did know was that he was helping the wounded man. Neighbor, being a neighbor means that we have to get our hands dirty, folk. We have to get our hands dirty sometimes. It means we may have to wipe a snotty nose or change a dirty diaper. It means we may have to clean a wound. It, it means we may, we may, we may, we, we will have to dry some tears. Or have to dry some tears. It may even mean that we have to help someone with their most personal needs. It means that we have to make contact. That's what it means to be a neighbor. It means that we may have to make contact. It means that we have to come down from our high position to where people are, people are and minister to them to the, at their point of need. There has to be physical contact, folk. There has to be physical contact. That's what it means to be a neighbor. We, to be a neighbor, we must touch. We must hug. We, we, to be a neighbor, we must have a shoulder for someone to lean on. We must have a shoulder for someone to lean on. We must have contact. We cannot be a neighbor from a distance. We have to have physical contact. Physical contact. Listen. People, I believe, are hurting right here in this room. For whatever the reasons, they are in pain. 
they need to be a shoulder to cry on. They need, there needs to be listening ears. Or they need our godly counsel. But in order for these things to happen, there has to be contact. There has to be contact. The Samaritan man had compassion. He had contact. And thirdly, he cared. He cared. To be a neighbor, we must care. To be a neighbor, we must care. The text tells us that the Samaritan put the man on his own donkey or animal and took care of him. The wounded man was, 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 was too weak to walk. So the Samaritan puts him on his own donkey, which suggests the Samaritan walked. I don't know, it, it, it is said that the, mile, the road was around 17 miles long. So maybe let's say he walked half the way. So around eight, nine miles. Maybe less, I don't know. But the fact that he put the man on his donkey and he walked. Here was a practical Christian. Are we practical Christians? When a brother or sister or someone that we come in contact with has a genuine need, do we walk on the other side of the road by telling the person, I will pray for you instead of trying to help and meet their needs? Let me share a story with you. I'm sharing this story about Tracy. She doesn't know I'm, I'm telling the story, so... She might kill me after I finish sharing it. But um, a few weeks ago, I, I think she was driving, going to um, Publix, and she saw two young men walking on the road. She doesn't know them. And um, she went to Publix, and coming back, she, still, she saw them walking. So she said, let me stop and find out what's going on. So she stopped and asked them where they're going. They were going to um, uh, the high school to practice basketball. So she stopped and she decided to tell them, gave, gave them a ride to the, um, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the school. And, um, and, she, and she said to them, if you're coming back, if, you're, if you want to go again and you don't have a ride, please call me. A few weeks, a week or so later, maybe last week I think it was, they called her and there she was. Went and she gave them a ride. She doesn't know them from, she didn't know them from Adam, but she went and she helped the, the, those young, young men who, who needed a ride. Folk, that is what it means to be a neighbor. Maybe I would have walked away. Maybe I would have, I would have seen them drive to, to Publix and come back and, and don't say a word. That is, that is what it means to be a neighbor. She cared. Caring means there will be sacrifice. Caring means we, we have to give up something of value in order to benefit someone else. That is what the Samaritan man did. He put the man on his own donkey and he walked. He walked. He may have, he, we, we, um, he, we, we, we may have, we may have to do without. We may have to do without to help. And to help provide for others. We may have to be inconvenienced to help someone else. We may have to, we, we, we may have to adjust our schedule, modify, modify our plans 
to help someone in need. Listen, folk. The Christian life is not easy. But it is, but is, but that is what is required of us. But when someone is in need, we, we have to stop playing church and get our hands dirty and care for people. Get involved in our brothers and sisters life and find out where they're hurting and in, and, and, and in need and be a good Samaritan. I believe, I believe this is what Pastor Bubba desires of us. The elders desire for us, desire for us. I believe we need to take off the mask, drop the facade and care for those who are in need. That is Bible folk. That is Bible. That's what it means to be a neighbor. We must have compassion. We must have contact. We must care. And finally, to be a neighbor, it will cost us. To be a neighbor, it will cost us. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? Will it cost you your time? Will it cost you your money? Guess what? To be a neighbor, it might even cost us our lives. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? The Samaritan man was practical. He not only bandaged the man's wound, but went an extra mile, put the man on his donkey, and, care, and carried him to an end. He did not stop there. He gave the innkeeper money to look after the wounded man that he had never met. It cost him. It did not only cost him money, but it cost him his time. Maybe he was rushing to an important meeting. Maybe he, because he stopped, because he, maybe because he stopped and helped the wounded man, he lost a business deal. Maybe he hadn't seen his wife and family in a while and he was rushing home to see them. It seems that he was heading somewhere of importance knowing the distance from Jerusalem to Jericho. Knowing that robbers lingered around the strip of road showed that the Samaritan man was selfless. Although he was on his busy schedule, he stopped to help his neighbor. Although he did not know him at all. He shared his donkey. He nursed the patient. He paid his bills. What did he gain from it? Nothing. He gained nothing from it. Except the joy that comes when we, when you live by, when you live by love and serve others without recognition or reward. He cared more for the man than he did his own safety. He cared not for his life, but only for the man whose life was in danger. I believe this was, a, this was a poor Samaritan man who did a rich and noble act. It does not matter how poor we are. We, are, we, we still can do rich and noble acts. The Samaritan knew what it means to be a neighbor. The wounded man could not repay him for what he did for him. 
he was stripped by the, by the robbers of all he had, even his clothes. The Samaritan was not looking for something back from the wounded man. He was just showing charity to someone he had never met. Listen, charity does not look for payment. Charity does not look for payment. If that is the case, then charity would cease to be charity. It would just be a job. Look what the Samaritan man said in verse 35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever else you spend, I will repay when I come back this way. He was not telling the innkeeper to look after him, the wounded, look after, look after the wounded man quickly and get him so get him out so it would not in, so that he would not incur any extra cost he was saying make sure this man is well before you discharge him the innkeeper must have asked is he your brother is he a relative is he a close friend are you under some kind of obligation to this man to this wounded man the samaritan must have said to him no I've never seen this man before. I've never met him before. I do not know him. I am under no obligation to this man in need. That was his perspective. All I knew I was helping him. All I saw him beaten. I saw him battered. I saw him bruised. And I helped because he was in need. That was a Samaritan man thought process. He was helping a man who was in need. That's what it means to be a neighbor. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? Will it cost you your time? Will it cost you money? Or will it cost you your life? Listen, Cornerstone. It costs Jesus, our Savior, his life. What will it cost you to be a neighbor to someone in need. The greatest neighbor of all is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were all together dead. Not half dead. Not partially dead. But fully dead in our trespasses and sin. Our iniquities and our wounds were not of someone else's doing, but because of our own doing. We were in opposition in, to Jesus in every step of the way. And we, and we were opposed to his divine nature. We, we have resisted and rejected him. We have refused his love. We have spoken evil of him and to him. We, we have lived years rejecting his calling. Yet, yet for, yet, yet, cornerstone. In his infinite love, in his infinite love, God had compassion that moved the Savior's heart to leave the splendor and glory of heaven. To come to a people that despised him. I'm wondering if you understand the greatness of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us. 
We despised them. We, we rejected them. We hated them. We hated them. He found us in our very misery. And vomit and left the splendor or the position of authority at his father's right hand. And bent over to lift us out of the mark and the mar that we were in. Though, 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 though we were enemies of him. We were enemies of him. Jesus cared for us so much. He went to the cross and he shed his precious blood on our behalf. That's what he did. That's what he did for us, folks. He is the greatest neighbor we can ever have. The Samaritan poured oil and wine on the wounded man. And Jesus shed his blood for us who were were wounded in sin. Who were wounded in, in sin. The Samaritan gave all he had to the wounded man. Jesus gave himself to die for my wretchedness, for your wretchedness. It cost Jesus his life. Our Lord and Savior was battered and bruised. He was wounded and stripped. He was not half dead, but he was fully dead in the tomb. The only way Jesus could deliver mankind from the ultimate punishment for sin was to shed his precious blood and die for man's sin. Jesus was the ultimate neighbor. Jesus did not answer the lawyer's question, but he asked in verse 36, which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The answer, of course, was in no doubt. Was in no doubt whatsoever. Jesus drove home the lesson with a command. Go and do likewise. Jesus was teaching that our neighbors are those we come in contact with. Jesus is teaching us that to be a neighbor, we must have compassion. We must have contact. We must care. And guess what? It will cost us. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? Like Jesus gave the lawyer and his friends a command. Let me challenge us by giving you the command that Jesus gave the lawyers and his friends. Go and do likewise. Father, we thank you. For who you are. Father, realize that the Christian life is not easy. It is challenging. It is difficult. Father, help us, Lord, to realize the what it means, what it means, what it means to be a neighbor. Father, realize that we have not arrived and 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 and, and we are always striving for, 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 for perfection. And Father, we pray that you have spoken to our hearts. That we'll be people 
who have compassion, people who have contact, people who care, and realize that to be a neighbor, it will cost us. Father, pray that we might apply your truth to our lives as we should live here this morning. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.